Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, I was talking about you, man. Yeah, it's a 
You know, and it's so funny, man, because uh, you are still very young. You're, what, 30 still, right? Yeah, I just turned 30 this past March. So Wow. Am, my body feels <laughs> a little bit older, but, you know, other than that, I mean, I feel great. I'm young. Yeah, yeah, wow. That's, uh, I, I got about a half a decade on you, so it's not that too, it's not too too far out. But, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, man, to, to know that, you know, it, it's funny because it's like it's like wrestling years. You know, when you wrestle, I've, I've interviewed so many people on this show, and the 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 common thread is that yeah, you can still be young, but man, when you hit that canvas and when you hit the mat, and you know when you go up and down and do all the training and all the all the bumps, I mean, thirty years old can can feel like fifty at times. So I definitely I definitely understand. You may be young in number, but probably probably old and 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 as far as just going through all the 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 t- t- you know turmoil and all the you know all the physical toll that wrestling uh, put on you over the years. So true, and I think too, like wrestling, you know, it happens so fast. Like people come in and out so quick. As fans too, it's like you look at some of these guys and you think, man. They, they must be really older now because I haven't seen them in years. In reality, they're not, you know. Exactly. I mean, if you look at past pay-per-views, uh, Kowalski used to always do this. When I used to train with him, he would show, like, old pay-per-views, like the card, and he would say, you know, two years ago, how many guys are still on the, in the WWE right now? And you would look at it and be like, wow, maybe, like, three of them? So, wow. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to uh, test your – endurance and your <laughs> and your drive to to become a wrestler like hey so these guys aren't wrestling anymore you know what about you <laughs> yeah right <laughs> absolutely true. so what was it that that wanted you to become you know that 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 prompted you to become a wrestler like you know out of out of all the hundreds and thousands of occupations that one could choose you chose to become a professional wrestler now you know I, i've heard many stories of why people have wanted to become a professional wrestler because they saw something. I mean, the stories range from just, you know, growing up being a wrestling fan because they, you know, they're, they're friends. They would have wrestling outings as a little bit of kid uh, at home. Uh, you know, it was like a college challenge. Uh, that someone yeah, became I mean, a professional wrestler. I, yeah. I mean, I've heard, I've heard it all. Why well, did you weird. choose? Yeah, uh, the, the way it came about was, you know, growing up, that's all I really watched was wrestling. I had, like, all the action figures and the wrestling buddies and all those things. And, you know, it was just me and my mother, and she was a single mother. So I remember one day she was, like, really upset because she never – she didn't graduate high school, so she had trouble finding, you know, employment at places. And she I remember she, just, she said, you know, find something that you love to do and you paid to do it. And at mm-hmm. the time, I was, like, 11 or 12, and I remember I was like, okay, I'll be a wrestler then. And that was it, because I, I love wrestling, so I should probably do this. And I, I never thought, like, how do you get into it? It never crossed my mind. Then, you know, the power of the Internet. When I was 12, I found that uh, WWE headquarters was in Stanford. So I got a ride down there. I skipped school on a Friday, and I got a ride down there. And I went in, and they didn't have, you know, it wasn't like security walk. And this was like 1999. And I went into the main office and asked for an application. And they were like, for what? And I was like, I'm probably going to be on Raw next week or something. I was like, I should probably just fill this out now. And later, was like, what are you talking about? 
And I was like, that's how we get on Raw. Like, just let me fill it out, and I can show you my skills. And then, you know, I had no idea. And then they kicked me out of the building and mm-hmm. gave me a magazine that I already had because I had a subscription to the magazine, too. <laughs> and uh, it was actually the magazine where I think it was Sean busting the chair over Taker's head. Mm-hmm. I don't remember fully. Somebody was getting – those two were on the magazine, and somebody got busted in the face with the chair. But – so then I, I looked up schools in New England and I found Kowalski's and, you know, I knew of Kowalski because I was like a wrestling historian even at age 12. I studied and studied and studied. So then I went up to Malden on like a Saturday and my brother gave me a ride and I went up there. And I remember it was on the third floor and I remember as you walk up, you could hear the banging and the yelling and, you know, it was like that old school Rocky Balboa gym style. And I was like, oh, my God. My brother was like, mm-hmm. you still want to do this? And I was like, yeah, let's just go figure it out. <laughs> so then Kowalski was like, what do you want? And I was like, I'm going to train to be a wrestler. And he's like, how old are you? And I said, oh, I just turned 13. He's like, get out of here. Come back when you're 18. And I was like, wait, like, no, that doesn't make sense. Like, I didn't come all this way for you to kick me out again. Like, I'm not getting kicked out this time. So I was like, listen, if you train me in five years, I'll have five years experience and I'll be 18. I can sign with WWF at the time. And he was like, really? And he was just thinking like, I don't know. Like, I mean, that makes sense, but you're not going to be able to cut it with these guys. And this was when like uh, Matt Bloom there, A-Train was going into WWF with draws and all that. Mm-hmm. So then, and there was a bunch of other guys too, like, Saturn was in and out, and it was just it was interesting to see them as a young kid because like you know you watch Perry Saturn on ECW and stuff, and then he agreed. He was like, "All right, papers home to your parents and have your mother sign it or whatever, saying that you won't sue me." He's like, and then come back when you're ready. So I came back the next day, and I was like, "All right, let's go." And he wouldn't let me in the ring the first six months, and I was like, "Just let me in the ring, like come on." And he was like, "Go over there and practice chain wrestling and practice." walking up and like the first six months he would not let me in the ring it was killing me because I was like this is crazy the first time he let me in the ring was a battle royal and it was at some carnival show and I think the real doink was there uh, God rest his soul but I actually stepped on his head and I was like throw me out throw me out and I was like telling people like hurry throw me out he's going to come kill me <laughs> so I was the first I was the first one in the first one out of the battle royal so that was a good experience but then Kofi he would always like Randomly, he would. I would see him staring at me, and I was like, I don't know what he's like doing. I have to say something to him. What's going on here? He would come over and he would stretch me for like 20 minutes because he thought I was like some 13 year old kid who wanted to play wrestle. But then mm-hmm. after a while, the, the guy started realizing, like, okay, this kid actually, he's, no matter what we do with him, he's, he's just going to keep coming back and for more. So we might as well start teaching him something. And that's kind of how it all started. And then I would, you know, I'd lie to promoters in New England to get on shows and. I started recording everything I did, and I would send it weekly to WWE, and I would just send mm-hmm. them stuff. And they probably saw the most ridiculous stuff. God knows if they seen them. <laughs> but, and yeah, that's kind of how it all started. And then when I was a uh, junior in high school, I was I just got my license, and I was actually, it's actually kind of funny how it works, because I got my license on a Tuesday. Thursday night, or Thursday after school, I left and drove to Atlanta because I had a booking for NWA Wildside with Bill Barron's down there. So I drove from Worcester, Mass, all the way to Atlanta. And uh, I got there Friday, wrestled Friday night, Saturday night, drove back Sunday. And then Monday after school, 
I got back early Monday, like 5 a.m., just in time to, like, get home, unpack my bags, take a shower, turn around, go right back to school. Then I came back to the phone call, and my mom was like, somebody called from Stanford. And I was like, Stanford. So I looked, and it was Dr. Tom on the voicemail calling back. And I was like, oh, God, this is like, what is going on in my week here? Like, I thought I was hallucinating because I was so tired. He was mm-hmm. like, Ken Jones, he's like, I got one of your videotapes. And I was like, okay. He's like, next week we're going to be in Philadelphia. And then Tuesday we're in Baltimore. He's like, where are you going to be? I said, I'll probably be in school, honestly. He's like, how old are you? I said, I'm 16 and a half. He's like, are you good at math? And I was like, yeah. He's like, subtract two on your date of birth. So that way you're 18 and a half. And I was like, are they going to have an ID? He's like, no. I said, all right, I'll be there. So I got to Philadelphia. And I, they're like, you're doing the white boy challenge with Rodney Mack. And I was like, okay, cool. That works. And the next night, I think I wrestled Ultimo Dragon. And then I drove back Tuesday night in the middle of the night all the way back to school for Wednesday. But uh, what's cool about that was when I got back to school Wednesday, my principal called me to the office because apparently a lot of people saw me on Monday Night Raw and word spread pretty fast around the school on Tuesday. I was doing that previously. And he was like, where were you this past two days? And I thought you were sick. And I said, you know, I said, I, I got some stuff going on. And he's like, is that what you want to do? And I said, absolutely. He's like, well, I'll tell you what. If you keep an A-B average, I'll excuse the absences because I can just say, I'll say that's like work-related or something. He's like, we well, have to keep an A-B average. And I was like, all right, deal, cool. So about every other month I would take two days off of school. I'd, I'd in the back, you have guys, like, doing whatever they do, their pre-tapes and stuff, and I'd be, like, off to the side doing, like, algebra homework and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and that was backstage as an extra at Raw and SmackDown. So it was interesting. Wow. And WWE had no idea. Like, the only one that knew was Dr. Tom. And uh, I remember, what was it? I just turned, it was WrestleMania 20, actually. I was a druid at Madison Square Garden. And after the show, John Laurinaitis was like, hey, would you be willing to move to Louisville? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he's like, can you go there next week? And I was like, I need to finish school. He's like, what do you mean finish school? Where do you go to school? And I was like, Bay Path. And he's like, I've never heard of it. I said, yeah. He said, how old are you? I just turned 18. He's like, you just turned 18? I said, yeah. He's like, you've been working for me for two years, and you just turned 18. <laughs> I said, well, hell. I said, I'm legal now, so I'll be willing to move there. I said, how about this? I graduate in June, and I can move there then. Well, we'll think about it. I don't know if I want to hire you. I was like, you just wanted to hire me right now. Why would you not want right. to hire me in June? Now that you realize I'm even younger than you thought I was. Like, <laughs> he's like, we'll talk about it. So then, like, he never really talked much about it. He just called me halfway through May. I was still in school. He's like, I'm sending you a contract. This is what it's going to be. So I actually got my contract at the end of May before I even graduated. And then I graduated wow. June 4th. And then June 7th, I moved to Louisville. Wow. Like, yeah, that's wow. how it all happened. <laughs> that is absolutely fantastic, man. This wrestling underage. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every like, yeah, Marty used to do it all the time. Yeah. So, like, yep. I guess he's kind of like the, uh, you know, he started it. I'm sure other people have, too. I mean, Mike Kyoto used to tell me stories where he was, like, refereeing and helping break down the rings when he was 15. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. There's been referee stories of you know helping breaking down, uh, you know setting up and breaking down and stuff like that. But just being actually in the ring underage is absolutely hilarious to me. Like you said, you know Jeff Hardy is kind of like the front runner of of, of that because he's known, you know, he's known for wrestling underage too. But uh, yeah, it's 
I think it's I think it's great though, man. It's 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 really fun, you know, that uh, a story like that. And kudos to Pritchard, man, for for giving you that break. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very thankful for it too. I mean, he didn't have to. He could have said, uh, "We'll wait two years," and you know, who yeah. knows what's going to happen. Yeah, actually, he's actually going to be on my show here um, next month, so I'm I'm looking forward to <laughs> excuse me, I'm looking forward to many stories like that. Um, oh, goodness, just, that's gonna be great. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's he's got a history of agent work um, that's uh, going to be really interesting to talk about. But yeah, so so you 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 went to Louisville. You you had some uh, some some, de- some developmental experience. Um, how was it working in the developmental territory? It was fun, actually. You know, I, I didn't mind it because, you know, the alternative, like, I always had three goals in my mind, and well, the first one was to run for WWE. The second one was to graduate college, just as nobody in my family had. And then if those two failed, then I was just going to join the military. So mm-hmm. luckily, number one actually came through, and that actually worked. So I didn't mind it. I mean, it was cool because it, it was good going into with knowledge. I could only imagine how interesting it would be if you never had a wrestling background or any mm-hmm. background in professional wrestling, for that matter. Just go in there and work with, like, Al Snow and Lance Storm and Bill DeMott and Paul Heyman and Jim Cornette and Danny Davis and, you know, all these minds that come in and out of there. It's just, you know, having an understanding, you understand what they're saying so much more. You know, it's like if you don't follow politics and you try to watch politics, you have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but developmental was great. It wasn't too bad. I mean, we worked like three hours a day. It was easy. TVs were great. Oh wow, that's that's uh, that's awesome. Uh, so you, I think you had uh, some 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 success there, and you also had a mini feud with CM Punk um, toward the end, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, OVW. Yep, that was it. Was always a good time. You know, what was crazy was when I got there. Jim Cornette, he said, are you a heel or a babyface? I said, I like being a heel. It just seems more natural. And he said, no, you'll never make me a heel. You're a babyface. And I was like, okay, whatever. So then I remember, like, you know, they did a little bit with me as a babyface, and I could tell that I was, I felt like I was slowly getting written out of the show because they just had so many babyfaces. You know, I'm like a very analytical person. I'll review things, and I'll look at things from different angles. And, you know, they had, like, Johnny Jeter and Capitelli and all these other guys that were, you know, Really, really good baby faces. So they did the tournament for the TV title. And it was me and Smitha. And they wanted to have like a baby face, baby face match. And it was never run this way or not. It was just, you know, when he wins, I just leave and that's about it. Mm-hmm. And then one, I just like started destroying the whole set and slamming the chair and stuff. And Cornette was like, what the hell are you doing? I got to the back. He was like, what the heck was that all about? And I was like, I don't know. I guess, I guess I guess. I felt it out there. I felt like I should do something. I just felt silly just walking away. He's like, now you're a heel. And I was like, well, let's, let's see how it goes. So then the next two, three weeks, he put me in dark matches as a heel. I ended up getting home pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, I, I got to put it on TV. So that's kind of yeah. how the whole heel thing came about. So but, that was Oh, the, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Was that the transition to the spirit squad? Because you, you, you got called up not too long after that, right? Well, I was doing a lot of stuff with CM Punk. You know, it's weird because OVW, if you look at the timeline, everybody that I worked with went up to TV. It became mm-hmm. a joke in developmental where, like, if like, people would say, oh, I want to work with Stone, you know, I want to work with Ken because I, I'll get next on TV. 
So it was like I did something with like Paul Slate who went up on TV, and then something with uh, Nick Nemeth who left as Chavo's caddy there. And then I did, you know, something with Bobby and then Punk, and then there was like four or five people in a row, which I thought was really cool. You know, I I don't know, I liked it because if they're ready to go up, then it makes me feel more confident. Right. They were all ready. They were those guys were all ready to go up from time yeah. anyways. But the yeah. Spirit Squad thing came about where I was on the road with them, and there was no set direction, no character, or anything. It was just like, you know, do you. Do your thing from OVW. So I on house shows for about a month, two months. And then we were in Cincinnati, and they called up a bunch of the other guys. And then, uh, so, you know, it was Nicky, Nick, uh, Mitchell, Elijah Burke they called up, and they called up Johnny Jeter. And then they were like, you're going to have a meeting with Vince. So we were in there with Vince, and Taz was in the back. And Vince was, you know, I want to have five male cheerleaders. And we just kind of looked at each other, and I was like, and Taz looked at us like, what did he just say? And, you know, I, I, I didn't really care, but I thought it was a joke at first. And I was like, okay, sure. And then he was like, yeah, that's it. Get out of here. And we're like, okay. He left his office, and we're like, is he being serious? Like, he left male cheerleaders? So I said, I ended up coming back to Massachusetts for a little bit. Uh, to visit is hall or something. And then I found like these green Adidas basketball jumpsuits and they have to have five of them. And I was like, so I sent pictures to everybody and I was like, what do you think about this? So we literally picked our own outfits and everything. Mm-hmm. They're just Adidas, like basketball warm-ups. That's all we have for with like, you know, singlets that we actually ordered online as well. So then we started doing vignettes and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, they would try it on the road a little bit. Me and Mondo would do some stuff. Or actually, no, Elijah said, I guess he called the office and said he couldn't do the gimmick. said, I just, I can't do it. He said, there's something that I just, I won't be able to do it. I won't be able to pull it off, and I'm going to hold everybody down. Which, granted, in the world of wrestling, they always say never say you can't do something. But in all honesty, I guess, you know what? If, if he really thought he couldn't do it, well, then that's good that he was honest because it could have held us down. It could have held him down in the end. You never know what direction that, it went. That is just hilarious to me, though, that Elijah <laughs> Burke was going to be a Spirit Squad member. That is absolutely hilarious to me. That I, I've never as much, I've been doing journalism and writing for for wrestling for a long time now, and I've never known that Elijah Burke was supposed to be a Spirit Squad member. That is absolutely you didn't know to me. Never knew that. Nope. Yeah, he was in the meeting. He was going to be a Spirit Squad member. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, you know, but, the funny thing is I interviewed Elijah Burke on my show a few years ago. I never knew that. He's holding out on you. Yeah, I see. We're going to have to tweet this guy. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. So, so uh, you, you said so you said he he just pulled out and said no I can't do it and then yeah, Vince he just went out with you yeah and then uh, so then we all pitched you know Mondo he wasn't even under contract like Mondo and we were like hey this guy's like the best worker that you have in developmental who's not even under contract like why would we not give this guy a chance so we just started mm-hmm. using him in OBW we just started using him as part of the squad because we knew that OBW was going to see it but eventually they put me and Mondo up on the road. And uh, actually, I have a funny story about that as well. So they put Justin and Mondo up just to try it and see how it could go over the crowd. And, and, you know, you know that was kind of a lot of pressure because it was like, and if we screw this up, the other three are stuck down in OVW because now they're going to say, well, we don't like the gimmick now, you know. 
So we had to carry it for a few months. But then we ended up doing all that, and it worked out well, and then they started bringing us up. And at one point, they weren't sure if we were going to – there were talks where it was weird because the agents would come by on one week and say, okay, you're going to debut tonight. And then they'd come back 20 minutes later and go, oh, never mind, just no, you're not going to do anything tonight. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And then next week they would say, oh, we don't think we're going to do the gimmick anymore. It's not going to work. So then, like, there was one week we were – I forget where we were – they're like, yeah, we're not, we're not sure. Vince isn't sure if he wants to do it or not. We're like, you know what? Forget this. Let's go in his office. Let's wait. And when he comes in, we're just going to do a cheer. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, yeah, like let's do it. So then we spent it for like 30 minutes. And then, you know, we're getting bored. So now we're like playing with all this stuff in his office. And Harvey Whippleman comes in. He's like, what are you guys doing in here playing with everything? And we're like, we're waiting for him. Like, we're just getting bored. <laughs> he's like, he's in the production meeting. Go bust in there. And we're like, okay, let's go. So we go find the production meeting. It's like, open the door, and we blow the air horn, and we cheer. And then, like, everybody's just staring at us. And it's that weird feeling. And Vince just picks up his head and smiles. He's like, you're going to be on Raw next week. And we're like, okay, awesome. We're like, all right, let's get out of here before he changes his mind. So we didn't feel the rest of the night because purposely we avoided him just so that way we wouldn't do anything dumb to make him change his mind. And that's kind of how that ended up happening. We ended up debuting and ended up working out pretty well. But uh, the funny story about Mondo when we first did the thing on the road was it was me versus Viscera, and Mondo would manage me. And the pants that we wore, they were buttoned up on the side. So I brought mine to the seat and I had them so in between the butt so they wouldn't fall off. But I never brought Mondo's. And I told Viscera, like, hey, his pants will come right off. Like, let's do a spot where you give him, like, you know, the Viscera hump spot. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, cool. So Mondo feeds in at the end of the match, and he gives him the boss and slam, and then he clotheslines me out, and then like he just grabs the back of Mondo's pants and rips them right off. And Mondo's like in the Bobby Heenan like tight white thing, and mm-hmm. he just looks up at me and he's like, "You told him," and I was like, "Ha, I got you." <laughs> and then I started doing the hump spot and a live crowd, and people were going crazy. It was cool. Though. It was funny. <laughs> Wow, that that is absolutely amazing. And you know what the funny thing is? Not a lot of people uh, can say that right out the gate, you know, they, they had a, a very prominent feud alongside the McMahons. You know, I mean, that's, that's just, you know, that, that's an awesome spot, you know, to have, you know, aligning yourself with Vince and Shane, you know, against uh, DX. And that was, that was huge. You know, that, that was a big deal. It was one of those things that, you know, the Spirit Squad was a rare occasion. You know, talking about striking while the iron is hot. You know, y'all, you all didn't want there long, you know, before y'all won the tag team titles. And it, it was just, it was just really awesome to see. And the thing is, y'all were so hated. Y'all, y'all were so amazing heels. And y'all had so much heat that, you know, paying your dues or putting time in the in the business really didn't apply for y'all because y'all 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 your heat was so huge. It was it was so much that you know it, it would have been ridiculous not to put a tag team title on you. So you you guys really got a, a pretty great spot coming in the gate. We were very very fortunate. I mean, you talk about like paying your dues and stuff. I was the I was the youngest one on the team at 19 years old and had the most experience of, well, six years at that point, which is still a lot, I guess, for anybody in WWE at this point. Yeah. Because yeah. Johnny Jeter was at, like, 
four years in, and Mondo was like maybe four and a half, and Nick Nemeth was, I think, like maybe two, maybe three. And Nick Mitchell mm-hmm. was like six months into the business. Nick Mitchell had no idea about wrestling. Like, he didn't, know, he didn't watch. He had no idea. He tried out for Tough Enough. He was the first mm-hmm. one eliminated. And then they go, this guy's funny. Let's send him to OVW. Then they go, hey, we have this gimmick. You can do it because you're crazy. I'll never let you wrestle. Like, there were times where we walked through a toy store, and he was like, hey, what? Tank Abbott wearing pink. And I was like, what are you talking about? Tank Abbott, the <laughs> UFC fighter. I was like, that's Jim Neidhart. What are you talking about? I was like, I don't know who that is. I was like, you're one of the tag team champions, and you don't know who Neidhart is. I, it's crazy. I was like, don't tell nobody about this situation because we'll get fired. Like, Pretty striking correlation, though. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, I was like, that's actually, hey, you know, wrong, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, paying your dues, I guess, it really doesn't apply. And you know what's weird, too, is, like, you hear things of, like, the machine is behind this superstar. And that, you know, being able to experience both of it, because when we were Spirit Squad, we were told by, like, Sean, like, no matter what you do, you are fine. You cannot screw up because we are going to protect you guys. We're going to make sure that everything goes the way we want it to go. He said, when you guys go out there, just go out and have fun. It doesn't matter what you do because you are going to be protected, and you will win when we want you to win. You will lose when we want you to lose, how we want you to lose. Everything is going to, no matter what, we're going to make this work. So it's kind of a great feeling because, you know, you see superstars in WWE, and you go, I just don't understand why they're in that position sometimes. But, well, if the machine is behind them, and I guess the machine being Vince and the top people, saying this is what we want to work, then it's going to work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. on the flip side, doing the Dexter gimmick where it's like, you know, you're, just, you know, you're there and you don't have the backing. So it's it was interesting to see both sides. It was cool to see both sides because, you know, you really get an understanding of how the whole business is going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was the decision to end the Spirit Squad? How did that come about? Honestly, I don't know. There was like, Again, it was kind of like how we started. The way we ended was similar because it was like one week you would hear, okay, we're going to break up. And then the next thing you know, it was like, nope, you're going to main event Raw tonight. Okay. And the next week it was something else and something else. And then just one week they decided, well, we're going to end it. And then that was pretty much it. It was just like uh, we didn't find out until about two hours before the show started. And that was just boom, clicking out. And I honestly, all the guys went back down to the developmental. And I, I pitched to go back down to developmental, but then Hunter was saying, he pulled me aside, he's like, you're not going to learn anything there. You're just going to waste your time. But my concern was, well, you, if you keep me up here and don't ever give me that time away, then people are always going to refer to it as the spirit squad thing. Like, that, that's hard to come out of. You know, you've got to break away from that to be out of the picture of that. So it was kind of like a mutual disagreement and a mutual agreement, you know? Yeah, you... You, you you had the opportunity to break away um, when you became Kenny Dykstra, and uh, you know you even picked up a win uh, against Ric Flair. You know, and that, that's that was huge. You know, they they seemed like they had a lot going towards you, but it just spiraled down as far as uh, creative just start just deep pushed you, and and uh, you just kind of fell under the radar. What was it that? I mean, what, what was what was the shift? I mean, what what caused the shift as far as you know you having so much uh, potential as Kenny Dykstra? I remember watching you. You you were gaining some steam and, and getting some heat of you know a cocky heel uh, picking up some big wins. 
and then they just kind of pulled the plug. I mean, why do you think? I mean, it was it was there any talks as far as why they're going to halt your push or how did that come about? Uh, honestly, like, I, I mean, there's a few different things that come to mind. Like, I know the night that I beat Flair at the pay per view that same night, Triple H tore his leg again. Yeah. So then I know that that night before I left the building. Uh, one of the writers was saying, he's like, you know, we, we got to put Flair with Sean because they're doing the rated RKO gimmick. So they're going to team up against those guys. So then we'll we'll put you somewhere else tomorrow night. So then the next night they had me do something with Jeff, but then something else came about where somebody got suspended or something like that. So then that feud ended up sizzling out. And then there wasn't really much at the time. It was just kind of like, you know, it was like in that limbo stage. And I, I remember – they had uh, Bobby Lashley working with, like, Test and Hardcore Holly. Mm-hmm. I, knew, I knew from OVW, like, I can work with Bobby. And it's not, it's not that you can't work with Bobby. Bobby's a great talent. But the person that they want Bobby to be and the person that they want Bobby to get over as, it's not going to happen when you're working guys like Test and Hardcore Holly because they're just yeah. as big and it's just as brutal. So you can't get one guy over as a monster when he's fighting another monster. It just doesn't make sense. So I went to Stephanie and I told her, I said, you know, just, let me work with Bobby. I said, I can, I'll make the match get over. I'll get us both over. I said, I'll make him look like a million dollars. I swear to you. I said, just trust me on this, please. And she was like, all right, I'll think about it. And then the next week we were in Philly and she was like, you guys are a semi-main event. You got 15 minutes with a commercial break. And I was like, sweet, that's cool. And Bobby, he got there and he had the flu. So I was like, oh God, I don't pull this match. Like, you know, this would be good. So Bobby, he, he was like, uh, just whatever you want to do, man, that's cool. He's like, I trust you, so just call it, and we'll be cool. And I said, all right. I said, if you want to, if that's the way we'll, we'll do it, that's great. I'll do it. And that match you can still watch on YouTube. That was actually a really good match. Mm-hmm. And then we went to the back. We got to the back. We got a standing ovation in gorilla position. And then Stephanie was like, you did it. She's like, that's exactly what we wanted out of Bobby. So then I came up with more ideas, and my idea was really like, because I was on Raw's time, and he was ECW champ. My idea was that I would go to ECW, steal his title, you know what I mean, up until the mm-hmm. pay-per-view when he actually gets his hands on me. It would just be a different different set of storyline. And then they did the stealing of the title gimmick for the year with Kali and Cena. So yeah. they used it somewhere, you know. But yeah. as for, like, any one specific situation, I don't really know. I mean, it's all different. Things change so quick. I mean, it, I always compare it to, like, the NFL. It's like you could be the GM of a team. What happens when your running back is down, or what happens when this player gets suspended, or what happens when, you know what I mean? Like, do you have the pieces to back that up? What's next in line? Who's next in line? Who's next to go? Now you're changing directions. Your whole offensive playbook could change because of, you know, look at look at the Patriots. I mean, Patriots fan, Brady's out four games, so I don't think we're going to throw the ball that much the first four games. Yeah, yeah. I am far from a Patriot fan, um, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm not hey, if you're not from New England, you're probably not a Patriot. Yes, fan. exactly. Uh, the Patriots and the Cowboys are my two least favorite teams in the NFL, hands down. So I agree with the Cowboys, though. <laughs> yeah, oh man, they're they're just uh, yucky. But <laughs> um, so so was it just a matter of just running out of ideas as far as your release? I don't, you know what? I'm not sure because like they started putting me on house shows, and which was great. I mean, I was never upset about it. I mean, some guys would get upset like, "Oh, I'm gonna lose again," or "I'm not on TV." And like, I would always tell them like, "Look, dude, like it's a job. Like this isn't yeah. 
you, you know what I'm saying? Like, just because you win a title doesn't, like, make a real champion. I won the tag belt against Big Show. I'm pretty sure Big Show laid there and let me pin him for three seconds. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, my leg drop's pretty devastating, but I'm still pretty sure that he laid there for three seconds. If he didn't yeah. want to, well, maybe he would have. So, <laughs> I don't know if that makes me better than him. I don't know if that makes yeah. me stronger or tougher than him. But, yeah, so I didn't really mind. I mean, I was on house shows working with – I was working with a lot of guys that were coming up, like Kofi Kingston and, like, uh, Rhodes and DiBiase and, like, a bunch of those guys. Some of the tag teams, Primo, and, like, a bunch of those guys I got to work with. So that was always cool because, you know, you're younger than them, but you've been doing it longer and you kind of can help them out along the way with certain things mm-hmm. that, you know. And then they put me in the draft for a little bit. I remember, you know what, they did the draft. And – uh they they called me and was like, you need to be at SmackDown this week. We're doing the draft on Monday, so you need to be there, and you're going to be on SmackDown. And I was like, okay, cool. So I was like, maybe they got something for me. I don't know. And then I got there, and they were like, you're working Chuck Palumbo. And I was like, I remember thinking, like, wait, they just aired vignettes for the past six weeks. This is a squash match. Like, <laughs> this yeah. is crazy. So I was like, right. whatever, it's fun. I was like, I'll make it look good. I'll make it look like a million dollars. So then, you know, it's funny that they actually, because it's SmackDown. I got in trouble for this. It's SmackDown, so it's, well, it was taped. I heard it's live now. I don't it know. is. But yeah. Crazy. It's been that's live awesome. for the past uh, three weeks now. Really? Yep. I'm going to have to check it out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Chuck was doing the motorcycle gimmick, and I was in the ring, and it was his debut, and his motorcycle stalled, and the ref was like, uh, the motorcycle stalled. And you could hear it stalling in the back, and the crowd was, like, starting to boo. So the ref was like, do something. So I grabbed the mic and I was like, ladies and gentlemen, if you couldn't tell, obviously I'm supposed to fight Chuck Palumbo. I was like, but this is his debut and since he can't make it out here, therefore by forfeit, you're a winner. <laughs> and I like declared myself the winner. And they were like, what are you stupid? Like, this is debut. You're trying to make it look like he's 0-1 to start. Like, you're going to kill everything before it even starts. I was like, it's not live. Like, we could, but we're going to do it. I don't think you're going to hear that on SmackDown. Like right. So the the crowd that night realized who really won the match before it happened. <laughs> yeah, so I mean that's good to work with. I like Chuck. Chuck is fun to work with. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the biker gimmick was probably his best gimmick in the WWE. I wasn't a big fan of Billy and Chuck. Um, I, I'm gonna try to get him on the show one day. I I interviewed Billy Gunn uh, earlier this year, and oh, uh, you know, he, he Billy Gunn was a big fan of it, but. Um, I wasn't a big fan of it, but I do understand Billy's point as far as just taking something, you know, taking and turning it into gold. I mean, that's that's pretty much the best way to describe it. And, Absolutely. And, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and, I mean, look at Terry Saturn with the mop, you know? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Who, who would have thought that this guy who is a legit, like, this guy's legit all-around fighter and stuff, yeah. trained, Terry Saturn, and he's like, he made it made it work with a mop, so mm-hmm. you just got to be Absolutely. flexible in the business. That's the yeah. thing you never know. Like I, I've heard people like at fan conventions like try to goof on the Spirit Squad gimmick, and I'm like, okay, one, I didn't really have an option. Like it's not like I went there to add this, and two, <laughs> right. you know, we made most of it. Like we're inventing pay per views and raw and stuff. So like how many how many people go through WWE in the encyclopedia? Will have can say that. Yeah, that's a good point. 
Yep. Real quick, uh, so so Dolph Ziggler, your your boy, your your former tag team partner, uh, within this whole live SmackDown uh, era, what's been a few weeks, he uh, he he won um, a qualifying match last week to become the number one contender for the WWE Championship at SummerSlam. So, you know, and that's 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 a big deal since he's been kind of climbing up and down and really trying to find his niche as a singles competitor. What did you see in Dolph Ziggler uh, when you were teaming up to him? And, and, you know, how would you evaluate, you know, his, his current character that he's had for the past number of years? Honestly, I mean, hearing that, I would say I, I wish it happened a lot sooner. Like, I know that, you know, like I think he had the most talent out of everybody there. And I'm, I wish mm-hmm. that they would use him, utilize him more often. Like, you know, because sometimes he's there to put guys over and whatnot. Like, they, I feel like last time I watched it, it was like they kind of balanced him between mid-card and somewhat main event and somewhat made. You know what I mean? It's just like pick or choose. They, which one yeah. is he going to be? And the crowd knows that he has the capability of it. They know he has the capability of it. I mean, he has the talent to do whatever they ask him to do. He really does. But I think WWE is such a big man era and big man, you know, they get behind these guys, and I don't know. Honestly, yeah. I'm not sure. But I do know that, like, talent-wise, when I was working with him, he was always he always wanted to learn. He was always willing to learn. And there were little things that we would do. And, like, you know, I know Mondo taught him a lot of things because riding the car, he would always have questions for Mondo. And Mondo would answer, like, in your textbook form. And I would always answer in, like, you know, just being in the ring experience form, I guess. So mm-hmm. it was cool riding with him because, you know, he would always ask questions about certain situations in the match or how do we do something different or – and there were times, too, where I would show him different things like that Kowalski would show me and, like, you know, he, what was that? Like, why don't they teach us this at OVW? Well, because it's a training camp. They have their own way of doing it. Every school yeah. has their own way. He never came from a training school other than OVW. That was it. That was where he started. But he also has an amateur wrestling background, so that actually benefits him a lot, too, because he can – now he's at a point – you know, at the point then, we try to tell him, like, you know, use this in a wrestling manner, like, in the show. Try to utilize this. And obviously, yeah. that's hard to grasp when you're trying to learn one style and you literally know another style. But obviously, he's good enough now where he can, he, you know, you see him, he can do whatever he wants to do out there. Mm-hmm. Now, he gets compared to, he gets criticized often by being a little bit too Shawn Michaels-like. I mean, even Shawn Michaels mentioned that uh, on his uh, interview with uh, Steve Austin. Um, do you I mean, do, do you pick that up as far as him being a little bit too much like Shawn Michaels as far as the gear is concerned and the look is very similar? He does the super kick. Do you think that that, you know, has been a detriment to him? Uh, to see, I don't know. It's hard because I'm always the type where I say, I mean, knowing what it's like to have the machine again behind you, what is a detriment? It's really up to them. If they think it is, then it is. If they don't, then it isn't. But I think if the crowd's behind them, then why not try it, you know? The crowd seems to be behind them every time I've seen them out there. So, I mean, he, he reminds me of somebody. You know what, though? They teach these guys in training school, take a little bit from everybody and make it your own. I think mm-hmm. he's taken plenty from quite a few guys and made it his mm-hmm. own, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. All right, Ken. Uh, fantastic, man. Uh, let us know what you're doing nowadays, Mr. Fitness Guru. And where yeah, can we find I mean, you? Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I'm all over the place, really. 
I do many things. I'm a author. I wrote a children's book entitled Billy's Bully, so it's an anti-bullying kids book. And I like, you know, I go to schools and I share that message nationwide. And then uh, I also work for a few nonprofits where I teach people how to start businesses, run businesses. I'm finishing up my dual master's degrees, my MBA, my MSOL, which is organizational leadership at Nichols College. So this May I'll graduate. Excuse me, I graduated two master's degrees. Wow. Uh, and I do my fitness stuff on the side. So I do like some consultations and stuff, and I do a lot of uh, physics shows. So we'll see how that goes. Those are always fun. Um, I help people out with fitness advice and stuff. I do that more like pro bono on the side, just helping people out because, you know, at the end, I, I like to help people. Um, what else have I done? I started a company where we work with children who are diagnosed with autism. So we give them proper treatment. So I do that. I oversee the aspect of the business. So that's the thing. I mean, I didn't know SmackDown was live. I don't even, I don't even have time to watch it, really. I have to mm-hmm. doing like research or like writing these big papers for my masters and like keeping track of my numbers for the business or my yeah. travel or you know what I mean? It's always something. So Yeah. Wow, Ken. Fantastic man. Uh ladies and gentlemen, this is this has been Ken Doan, uh also known as Kenny Dykstra, uh for you WWE fans, man. What's your uh Twitter, Facebook? Where can we find you at? K E N N D O A N E, and that's uh, Instagram, Twitter. I believe it's my Facebook as well. So, and everything is kind of linked together. So, once you catch me on one, you'll find out where the next one is. So, and I'm always mm-hmm. up to something. Uh, my tweets are more comical, sports related, and my Instagram is more fitness. And my Facebook's well, I really write stuff on Facebook. I just go through and look everybody's stuff. So, if you ever read anything that, I might accidentally like it. Don't take offense to it. <laughs> and you have a fitness blog, right? I yeah, I do have a fitness blog as well. Ken don't fit. I gotta renew the uh URL. They're supposed to mm-hmm. this last week. I don't know if they did it yet. And there'll be yeah. more stuff coming out as well. Uh I actually might have another blog about um financing and stuff. Just help people with their finances and stuff, the economy, you know, up and down, how to invest, how to how to save, all those types of things. That's nice. a specialty man. Yeah. See, so like I can drop a leg and take bumps, but at the end of the day, you always have your brain. You always got your education. That that will never go away. Well, amen. I I agree. I'm a PhD student right now, so I'm totally agree with that. So, see, absolutely, got a lot of education pays dividends. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. It's been a pleasure, Ken. Thanks for coming on the show. All right, I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much, and uh, y'all have a great night. And have a Fantastic. be good till we talk again. All right, you as well. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Take care. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much uh, for listening to the interview with uh, Ken Kenny Dykstra Doan. Without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, let's get let's get right into it, ladies and gentlemen. The featured the co-host for tonight is feature columnist from the Bleach Report WWE, none other than the Doctor Chris Mueller. How are you tonight, sir? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So Kenny Dykstra, man, it's great to know his whereabouts. Yeah, you know, I always I always thought that he had a lot of untapped potential and WWE didn't take full advantage of him. He had the best diving leg drop I've ever seen in the business, yeah. I got to say. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. 
Absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get right into the headlines. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, let's start out with the takeaways from the recent episode of the WWE Cruiserweight Classic. What do you got, Chris? You know, I I am loving the Cruiserweight Classic right now. I've been doing the weekly recaps on Bleacher Report, and I cannot be happier with the way this is turning out. This is a great sign for the future of the Cruiserweight division. And as far as this past episode goes, I, I thought it was possibly the strongest episode we've seen, mainly because of the return of the Brian Kendrick. Yeah, the Brian. And he kept the same music, too. I loved that music that he had when he was a heel. Yeah, the I'm the man with the plan type music when he was with Ezekiel Jackson, so I, I totally agree with that. Uh, ZSJ, what do you think about uh, ZSJ uh, with his WWE debut? You know, I like Zack Sabre. Uh, you know, he's a little on the smaller side, but his technical prowess is unmatched. The fight he had with Tyson Dukes was one of the main highlights of this tournament so far, and I would not be shocked to see him win the whole thing, honestly. I wasn't that familiar with him until he showed up, and I've I've, I've done my research on him since, and I could definitely see him being something special in WWE if they choose to sign him. And, you know, there's rumors that he already has signed. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I can definitely see – I mean, I, I see him way past this tournament. I mean, because the thing is Triple H is trying to uh, have that universal appeal, the international appeal as well, um, which is probably the reason why Hohaloon beat uh, Arya Devari. I interviewed Arya Devari actually on my show last week. And, you know, it just seemed as if they're trying to have the international appeal, which is why Ho-Loon won, uh, because of the China effect. Um, you know, of course, you know, uh, ZSJ, Zach Sabre Jr. is more of a uh, the, the British part uh, of, of the world. Uh, so I definitely, I'd imagine they would want him uh, in as well. And then, of course, you know, Koto Ibushi, as far as Japan is concerned, he's even, you know, wrestling on NXT and winning uh, matches on NXT, so looks like they've got some very high hopes for Kota Ibushi. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they showed him on camera and mentioned him at one of the TakeOver specials was a, you know, that was an instant sign that they had plans for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I could see him doing great in NXT before going up to the main roster, and I'm I'm sure that that's probably what they'll do with a few of these guys, but you know, the cruiserweight division's coming back here soon, so I wouldn't be surprised if he actually went right to the main roster. Yeah, I, I agree. ZZ was released from the WWE, um, and, you know, he his, his tweets and his, his comments uh, was very optimistic um, as far as, you know, him believing that this isn't the end, but they let him go. Um, it seemed like they really wanted to hold on to him, but for some reason, they uh, they found as if uh, he wasn't sufficient. Uh, I know that uh, it wasn't necessarily a training thing because he lost about 40 or 50 pounds. So he got to the point where he was really, you know, focused and, and determined. So I wonder what it was that uh, made him let him, let him uh, go. You know, I think with ZZ, it was kind of, do uh, you remember Sanjaya from American Idol? Mm-hmm. A lot of people reached out to me 
through Twitter and comments on the articles because I, I did the tough enough recaps for this past season too. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people were voting for him because he was the least likely candidate to win. And as far as his charisma goes, I don't think he has on-camera charisma. He's the kind of guy who's fun at a party. But I I never thought that he was good in a WWE setting. It doesn't mean he couldn't have gotten good eventually, but I was surprised they signed him at all, to be completely honest with you, because I I thought it was just a reality TV show grab, and then he was going to go back to Florida and do his gator wrestling thing. So, you know, there's a chance we might see him pop up on the indies here soon, or maybe he'll go up to Lance Storm's wrestling school and get himself going there. But uh, his release did not surprise me whatsoever. I'm shocked he lasted as long as he did, quite honestly. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it didn't It didn't surprise me at all. Um, I, I still was wondering, even when they released him, like where would they have inserted him? you know, on NXT or on the main roster, I find no, I mean, you know, with the split, you know, he could have became some type of, you know, dark protege of, of Braun Strowman, perhaps, you know, a Wyatt family type of thing. Um, but other than that, I, you know, I, I really didn't see much with him anyways. I mean, I, I like the determination. I like the fact that he's got himself, you know, physically in shape and that's, that's great. Uh, but, you know, it, it takes a lot. Uh, his personality just needs to be overhauled as far as really getting into the psychology of, you know, WWE and, and just, you know, using, you know, Regal and using other people to coach him as far as psychology is, is concerned. He's he's a young guy, so he's got a lot of time left. Road Warrior yeah, that's Animal. the thing. He was, a, he was a kid, you know. He was basically yeah, exactly. a kid when he was on that show. He was fresh yeah. out of high school. So, I mean, he's got a – a long life ahead of him for all we know 10 years from now, he could be back in WWE kicking ass. And I'm never going to predict that nobody can ever make it because we've seen so many Cinderella stories over the years and he could be one of them. Oh, absolutely. Road warrior animal accusing WWE for shoving Sasha Banks down our throats. A little bit excessive for you. But I don't even understand how he could think that. I mean, is he not even watching the product? She was off TV for a couple months after WrestleMania because of an injury, and people were chanting, we want Sasha during other people's matches. If anything, she's gotten over more naturally than Mm -hmm. anyone else on the roster, men or women. And I, I, I honestly just think that comment was probably one of those things he just didn't think about before making or he didn't know what he was talking about and just felt like throwing shade at WWE because he's part of that big class action lawsuit right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the funny thing about that to me is that, you know, the Royal Warriors is one of my – is my – favorite tag team of all time and it's like you know they always talk about you know there, there's a, a long an old adage that talks about never meet your hero you know and it's like uh being in the business you know being a part of the business the wrestling business from a journalist and knowing interviewing a lot of wrestlers and just getting further and further inside the business you know it's <laughs> that motto kind of fits uh me in this regard you know, just you know, staying in the Road Warriors are my are my favorites all time. 
um, from singles and tag team perspective. And I've all I've still from many wrestlers heard good things about Sting. I interviewed Jake Roberts a few weeks back, and he didn't say too many. I mean, he had some some criticizing things to say about Sting when he was with uh, working with them, but. Uh, for the most part, Sting, you know, has been a, a great guy. But as far as the Road Warriors are concerned, uh, specifically Animal, uh, I've heard some, I've heard some pretty negative things about him, and it's, and it's sad because it just doesn't seem as if he's watching the product. You know, it's, you, you, you can't just throw comments out there, you know, to, to get buzz for the sake of you being at the twilight of your career. You know, doing you know independent you know mom and pop corner corner shop, you know uh, events. You know, I mean, for the sake of you still needing money, and you know, I, there's there's a lot to criticize about the WWE product, but Sasha Banks isn't one of them. And I, I think that just making comments like that just kind of shows the level of ignorance when it comes to investing time in the product to me. No, I'm, I completely agree with you. I mean, I, I was one of those kids that grabbed a pair of shoulder pads and made my own spikes out of construction paper and mm-hmm. went as one of the Legion of Doom for Halloween. I'm glad that I went as Hawk now that I'm hearing all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where everybody's welcome to their opinion, of course, because I'm one of those people who I actually liked, John Cena, I'm not a John Cena fanatic, but I don't view it as, oh, John Cena was shoved down in our throats, so let's go boo him. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to people making comments like that, you know, there's a lot of bitterness in the wrestling industry, especially from guys who feel like they were shortchanged at one point in their career. And it, it's sad, like you said, you know, never meet your heroes because – you're going to get disappointed. And, you know, I, I honestly hope the best for him. I hope that he finds peace at some point in his life if he doesn't have it right now. But it's just crazy to think that John Laurinaitis is the more logical and sane of the Laurinaitis brothers. <laughs> very true. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good point right there. I Clean like Johnny Ace, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of John Cena, he's uh, possibly taking another hiatus uh, to film American Grit Season 2. Now, this doesn't, you know, the funny thing about this is that it it doesn't seem, it's not as uh, costly as how it used to be. You know, when John Cena, you know, took time off, and I mentioned this before in the show, when when John Cena took time off, you know, it was a big deal. Like, whoa, he's gone from Raw, or whoa, you know, he's not going to be on SmackDown. But because he's so involved in these extracurricular activities and kind of weaning away from being such a prominent role, it doesn't seem like a, a hiatus for two months would be uh, as critical as it used to be. No, not at all. I mean, WWE, for all the criticism they used to get about never building new stars, they have done a tremendous job over the past three years building a roster of people who can potentially take the place of a Cena or an Orton or a Triple H. Mm-hmm. And Cena going and doing other things is only going to bring more eyes to the product eventually. And let's face it, he's not a young man anymore. I mean, he's he's not old. He's not over the hill, but he's 
starting to rack up injuries here and there. He's got to worry about his body. Taking these little breaks is what's going to keep him in the business longer oh, yeah. in the long run. Absolutely. I, I tell you. I'm probably one of the few. I'm probably one of the few people who actually kind of enjoyed American Grit, so I'm kind of glad that it's coming back for a second season because I actually thought that Cena did an amazing job hosting that show, and that show is probably what led to him getting all these award show gigs and Today Show mm-hmm. stuff. So I'm actually happy for him, and I think it'll be a great thing for him. And, you know, if he goes away for two months and comes back, it just means he'll be fresh and he can go into another brand-new feud. Yeah. And I think I think his absence helped uh, the AJ Styles uh, feud as well. You know that he wasn't necessarily there. Um, the fact that he was gone and came back um, kind of had that. You know, the interest gained because he was gone, and I think that uh, that really benefited AJ Styles. And I think that the next person that they, you know, I really want to see is John Cena Baron Corbin feud. I really, really want to see him put Corbin over um, because Corbin is such an amazing heel to me. He, he needs to be booked as a strong heel. He needs to be booked as one of the strongest heels on SmackDown because people just, people don't like Baron Corbin. He's, you know, I've said this many times. He's only one. He's one of the uh, true. Uh, a very few number of pure heels that are still on the roster that people just don't like. And people, you know, that's such a benefit for some baby face who they're trying to push and put over because they don't like, because he's a, he's a natural, he's a pure heel. And I think that if he put, you know, if, if, if he goes against John Cena or Randy Orton, I'd actually prefer Randy Orton because Randy Orton gets more pops than John Cena. You know, Baron Corbin just to me, he just needs to be the guy that uh, uh, gets it gets the rub from one of those legends. No, you you hit the nail on the head there. Baron Corbin gets genuine heat from the crowd, and you know I've always viewed it as there's two kinds of heels. There's the kind of heel that you actually like, like a CM Punk heel, and then there's the kind of heel that you want to see somebody else kick their teeth in and Baron Corbin is one of those guys and he knows that and he plays it up perfectly and you know one of the things that bothers me the most is how many people comment on his hairline who cares if he's going bald he's a heel he's not supposed to be pretty exactly so you know he's he's got that look of just you don't want to mess with me and and you know I could see him having good long career with WWE. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be the top heel in the company at any point, but he'll be right there in the top five. And as long as he can stay healthy and keep himself out of trouble outside the ring, you know, the the future looks bright for that guy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, the future doesn't look too bright for Alberto Del Rio. Uh, He's currently uh, upset with his position in WWE and uh, he's got a, Opt-out calls uh, next month, actually. Um, you know, there were some reports that said October, but uh, it's actually been changed. That, uh, there, there's an opt-out uh, clause on his uh, contract uh, set for next month. So, very interesting. Uh, we may see Del Rio gone again. Uh, I actually went to a live Ring of Honor show when he was there, and he was way, way over. And, of course, when he was uh, – and Lucha Underground, he was way over, too. Um, 
Triple A, he was over, but there's some, you know, the, they, there are some negotiation conflicts with them as far as them keeping their title and kind of holding them up. So, you know, but he look, it seemed like he's got some, you know, good relationships with Ring of Honor and, and Lucha Underground. So, he, you know, there's reports that uh, Lucha Underground is going to do another season. So, you know, he may uh, be utilized for that if uh, he if he gets out of his contract. And, of course, like I said, you know, he could be a top guy for uh, Ring of Honor and TNA. Uh, you know, there's been many reports that, you know, they were willing to, to, to bring him in and, and make him immediately champion. So they have a big check waiting for him. So there's opportunities for him if he uh, goes away from the WWE. But, you know, like he said in interviews, you know, WWE is the place to be. But unfortunately, he's unhappy. You know, I was surprised that WWE actually brought him back. I mean, he's and he's one of those people that I've always kind of, I kind of waffle on him a little bit because he's so good technically in the ring. I mean, very few people are as smooth as he is with everything that he does. But he's kind of boring on the microphone, at least with oh, what yeah. WWE lets him do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that it was a mistake to get rid of Ricardo Rodriguez. I thought they worked so well together. He brought that little bit of extra charisma to the pairing. But, you know, Del Rio is one of those guys that can write his own ticket wherever he goes. He could go to New Japan and be at the top of the food chain there. Ring of Honor, TNA, GFW, if that's even still a thing. I mean, he could, you know, he could be an independent contractor and go work for multiple companies. I mean, he really can do whatever he wants because of how much exposure he's had. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if if he decided to opt out of his contract. They really haven't done a whole lot with him. And for a guy who's held multiple world titles, you think he would have been booked as more of a threat. He wasn't even like a major contender to be number one contender for one of the titles recently. So yeah. it's yeah. just a weird situation with him. Yeah, I agree. That's, it's really unfortunate. And then lastly, uh, there's new titles to be uh, introduced on SmackDown after SummerSlam uh, via tag team and women's uh, title. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm, I'm glad they're going to do it. I, I personally thought that they should have had, the champions float between brands, but if they're going to keep everybody completely separate, then why have any tag teams on SmackDown without a title? Why have any women without a title? It's mm-hmm. It's got to happen, and there's going to be another influx of talent coming in from NXT to fill these divisions, so they're not going to be lacking for competition. And it's it's really the only move they could do at this point. I just really mm-hmm. hope they don't call the SmackDown title the Divas title again. Oh, I was just thinking about that. I, I don't, please no, <laughs> don't do it. And they don't also need to get Michelle rid of McCool. those. Yeah, and they all. Well, I kind of <laughs> liked Michelle McCool actually. <laughs> yeah, well, not. not I, I thought uh, she was underrated. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that she was good, but I think that they didn't really book her that well with the with her. And when Lakehold just became so stale, it was just ridiculously awful to watch. Yeah, her, that her. was at the low point of the Divas division, exactly. for sure. She was not in there at the best time. Yeah, I agree. Her as an athlete was good. I enjoyed her as an athlete. Uh, yeah, she worked well with Mickey James. She did, she did, um, but just a really, like you said, like a, and I'm talking about just the era, um, you know, that she was uh, 
prominent in with Lake Hole was just it was just really tough to watch. Yeah, it was pretty abysmal, but they've you know they've turned it around. But uh, you know, with, with with the women's division especially, it, it's just gotten so much better that having a second title is justified at this point. And mm-hmm. you know, as long as they treat both titles equally and they don't make it clear that the Raw title is the top title or the SmackDown title is the top title, I I think it'll be fine. But they have to get rid of those copper bronze, whatever color they are, tag team belts. can't have a belt that's literally the third place medal, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Very, very aptly said during Olympic season right now. So, (laughs) right. Exactly. (laughs) I I agree wholeheartedly. All right. So what are your raw takeaways? Uh, I enjoyed raw this week. It's, uh, uh, it's hard after covering SmackDown to remember everything that happened, but I, I feel like they've done a really good job establishing each individual brand by itself. The whole Finn Baylor, Seth Rollins program already has my full attention. I mean, you know, most wrestling fans are just salivating, thinking about what kind of matches those two guys are going to have with each other. And, New Day is doing some interesting stuff, too. I mean, all in all, right now, I think both shows are, are doing real good, and I'm I'm really looking forward to the next few months as they continue to develop as separate brands. Mm. Yeah, I uh, I was not impressed with Raw. I, you know, and I'm coming from a... I'm, I'm very... I'm a, I'm a huge traditionalist when it comes to the the angle of a wrestling fan that I am. I'm very old school, very, very much a traditionalist. And I'm, I'm all about just the theater, the art and theater of wrestling. You can have wrestling matches, you know, galore. You can have good wrestling matches until you're blue in the face. Uh, but if there's no art or theater or storyline or, or drama with it, or no character development with it, you know, it's just another, uh, it's just another indie show. I mean, I've been to indie shows. And, you know, they're good to watch because uh, I'm a diehard wrestling fan of it all my life. But the difference, you know, the, the difference between that, uh, a good indie show of people who, who could wrestle and put together good matches, uh, the difference between that and, and you know, a, a big televised WWE event is just the art and the theater and the character development. And throughout the years, it's been that. And I just... You know, it's it's just a new day. I mean, no pun intended. It's just a new day of wrestling that I just can't, I just can't grip. You know, I I love wrestling. I, I you know, I'm a uh, I'm a radio show host. I've been doing this for almost four and a half years. I absolutely love it. I love wrestling. I'm a lifer. You know, I write for Sports Illustrated and Fox Sports, so of course I'm invested in wrestling. But it's just you know, it it's tough for me to really look. And, and evaluate pro wrestling with with a really happy face, um, because you know I, I, I'm a huge Finn Balor fan. I love Finn Balor. I love the theater. I love the drama. I love the entrance. But I am so upset with how the WWE is booking him. You know, it's one of those things that you know we saw with the Atlanta crowd that you can't you, you can't expect the subscribers of the WWE Network, which is about a million and a half right now. So you have a million and a half subscribers to the network. Out of that million and a half subscribers, not all of them watch NXT. So 
generously, if we if we want to throw a generous generous number up there, just say a million and a quarter. Uh, don't you know watch um, NXT? So a, a million and a quarter people watch NXT. So that is not even you know that's that's ba- basically a third of the total uh, viewers of WWE programming. So a third of the people know who he is. So the majority don't. And you're just kind of, you, you, you thrust him into a main event role without giving him a due proper build. I, and I just, I think his character is so dynamic. It's so amazing. It's so over the top that I think it should have, I think it should have had more time to develop and for everyone, even the casuals to get behind because you said, I mean, I saw it at the, the match with Roman Reigns was entrance. I saw it last. I saw it, uh, you know, in raw with Seth Rollins, there was a, you know, there, there's people who knew how to do the entrance with the arms going up and everything, but there was a great deal of people who didn't really care, you know, and it's not Finn's fault at all. He's an amazing athlete, but just the creative does not give him enough time to really develop the character as much as it should be. And I just, I don't get, I just really don't understand the lack of build when it comes to characters. You have Finn Balor, you have, you have Titus O'Neil and Darren Young. Who's the face? Who's the heel? Now it seems like Darren Young's going to become a heel. And, you know, that just didn't really make any sense. I just, it just really confuses me as far as what the WWE is trying to do. And there was just so much talking on Raw. It's just so much fluff. I was just bored to tears almost as far as just the excessive talking. I just, I was not a fan of that. You know, I definitely understand your viewpoint. I think sometimes, and you and I can understand this probably more than most people because we're both, uh, what you'd call an older wrestling fan in our thirties. Um, it, it's hard to step back and watch it as a fan again, when we know so much insider information and we write about it so much. And it's basically, you know, it's part of our business. Um, the Finn Balor thing, I, I think what they want to do with him is propel him up the ladder quickly and get him into those top feuds but then over time they're going to keep building him. I, I don't necessarily think he's going to beat Seth Rollins for the title at SummerSlam. Agreed. I just think I just think he's the perfect opponent out of the NXT call ups. Are there better opponents for Rollins? Yeah. I would have personally preferred to see Sami Zayn put in that position because I feel like Zayn has enough of a following on the main roster to justify mm-hmm. that. But you know, Triple H is really pushing his NXT kids and, you know, it's working with Sasha Banks. We're going to have to see if it works with Finn Balor. And, you know, like what you said earlier about how not many people know who he was, it's the same thing with Carmella this week on SmackDown and last week. The reaction to her was almost silent, which kills me because I love Carmella. I think she's got she's got enough charisma for three wrestlers and the fact that they're just bringing these people out and giving them quick segments or squash matches is not necessarily the right way to do things anymore. Like Nia Jax squashing some random female nobody's ever heard of. 
nobody's going to view her as dominant because, of course, the person with the contract is going to beat the person nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> Nia Jax should have come out there and destroyed Charlotte or Sasha Banks or both of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's it's really hit or miss. I think with WWE, more often than not, they sort of just throw dirts at a wall and see what <laughs> what it lands on. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, certain programs are going to do better than others. That's all, that's the way it's always been with pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we just have to give it time. And also I think part of their strategy is people might think, oh, who is this Finn Balor guy? He seems interesting. Maybe I should go by the WWE Network and check it out. I think maybe yeah. that's part of their strategy. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I can see that. The only the only problem is, is that they've kind of tried that already. You know, it's it's, you know, they, they've even had people from NXT wrestle. You know, when Charlotte was doing some pop ups here and there. You know, when uh, Sami Zayn was popping up. You know, they would do that when Neville was popping up. You know, before they were on the main roster, you know they had some pop-up matches here to promote the NXT brand, and it didn't it didn't really move the needle that much as far as uh, the subs. Uh, so, you know it, that that seems like an interesting approach. It seems like a, a likable uh, approach, a likely approach, uh, but I, I don't think that it would really you know draw the interest of of people enough to, to get an influx of uh, subscribers. I did like the Rusev and Roman Reigns thing. And I sent you an article uh, about that earlier. Um, Yeah. I've been, I've been been promoting this for, for at least two years. I I think that it's good for Roman Reigns, especially now uh, trying to hit that reset button. If they're not going to go the heel route, I think this is perfect for him. Again, going back to the pure heel, Rusev is another pure heel that will give Roman Reigns the pops that he needs. And he was even getting cheered on Raw, which is something that we haven't seen in months. Right. That actually surprised me. When I was doing the Raw coverage, I, the first thing I typed was how surprised I was that he came out and I could hear more people cheering for him than booing him for the first time mm-hmm. since he became a number one contender before he was ever champion. Um, Rusev is an incredibly talented wrestler who can do things that no guy his size would normally even attempt. So putting him with another guy like Reigns, who's very physical, they're going to have just brutal knockdown fights. And it's like you said, it's going to help Reigns hit that reset button. It's going to make people realize that, you know, he is more talented than they were giving him credit for in the end. And, and the way that confrontation played out w- was great because they didn't really need to say anything. It was just the eye contact and the body language sold everything. Exactly. Similar to how it was uh, before, you know, and, and, and I wrote in the article that I, when I was an FC at uh, Bleach Report, I wrote in an article as far as just the stare down, you know, beforehand was just magnetic and it was similar to Hogan and Warrior. Um, and I think that we kind of relive that on Raw again, you know, so that was good. I'm looking forward to that. I think Roman Reigns in the mid-card, having a mid-card title, I think that's beneficial for him. I think that will really help him out. Uh, what, what are your quick takeaways from SmackDown? Uh, you know, SmackDown definitely was a fun show for me, but 
the way that the women were booked was ridiculous. Yeah. How can you have two women's matches and then not have a woman's match? Like, I get yeah. the whole Natalia attacking Carmella thing, but what should have happened is they should have had a match. Carmella should have gotten the upset. Then Natalia should have attacked her and beaten mm-hmm. her down. Um, yep. You know, it, it's the whole thing with Eva Marie that probably confused every single person who was in the arena because they couldn't see the camera angle that showed her smiling to indicate it was a fake injury. So they're thinking this person who flopped in her first run is going to come in here and she's injuring herself on the way to the ring. So, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's a little ridiculous sometimes, but I enjoyed the main event uh, thoroughly. I liked Dean Ambrose on commentary. I don't necessarily like the cocky Dean Ambrose that he's turned into all of a sudden, mm-hmm. but I think the feud with him and Ziggler is better off because Ziggler just got that win over Bray Wyatt. And that's, in my opinion, a bigger win than, you know, the lucky shot he got on AJ Styles the other week because this was just one-on-one, you know, six months ago he would have jobbed to Bray Wyatt and just made mm-hmm. him look good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, again, man, I, I wasn't impressed with SmackDown. And unfortunately, I like the fact that they're trying to do something with Apollo Crews. I was a big Apollo Crews fan in NXT. But he he has no character still. I mean, you can put him in any type of position. But, his, you know, his character is what's going to drive him is what's going to take him to greater heights. You can be a great wrestler, but if you have no character – you know, it's not. It's only going to take you so far, and that's that's the problem. There's he's just so bland as a character that he comes out, he doesn't say anything, and it's just he just. I mean, it just seems like player A. You know, that just that just. I mean, he has the music. He has the player A music. He has the player A look. Player A gear. You know, it's just it's just so bland to me. I just I just don't like it at all. And just, just, where do you draw the lines? I mean, as far as, you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, push Dolph Ziggler. You know, I understand they're two baby faces, but Ambrose is becoming more of the heel with his commentary. And so does, does he get jeered now? Am I supposed to cheer him? Am I supposed to dislike him because he said he don't care about what I think? Where, where do you draw the lines as far as care, uh, developing a character? And you're trying to get some, some steam on Dolph Ziggler because he surely needs it. You know, he's been jobbing out to Baron Corbin for the past three months. And in, the, in times before that, he's been jobbing out to everybody else. So he needs as much steam as he can possibly get. Him being Bray, him beating Bray Wyatt was a good idea, but he was just, you know, he was on his back by the end of the show. You know, so it's like, where, where do you draw the lines? How do you really develop a character if at the end of the day you have a title match? You have a, you, you're, you're two weeks, you know, you're, you're less than three weeks out before your second big, biggest pay-per-view of the year. Instead of giving the, some, someone who you had as a number one contender Instead of giving him the steam that he needs, especially Dolph Ziggler, you have just a random sister Abigail, and you're making something out of Bray Wyatt, and it just it doesn't make any sense to me. I just I don't. If you're going to make, if you're not going to make Bray Wyatt in the championship spot, 
don't do it. The only thing, the only thing that I can think of is that come next week on SmackDown, he kind of still kind of forces himself into that match and becomes a triple threat match. That's the only thing that I can think of that could create some type of sense as far as them still giving uh, Bray Wyatt the, the upper hand at the end of the show. Yeah, the, there was definitely some confusing booking decisions on SmackDown for sure. I mean, the same thing happened with Cruz. Cruz wins the number one contender match, yet it's Baron Corbin who's standing tall at the end of that match. Exactly. I mean, and, and like what you said with Cruz being bland, it's the same thing with Neville. You know, both those guys are amazing mm-hmm. athletes, but what are their characters? They're just exactly. good guys. You know, it's yep. and not everybody can be the Rock. We all know that, but you know, you got to give these guys a chance with a microphone, deliver a promo or put together a couple of vignettes or something. They, they need some way to stand out. And right now I think they're so worried about establishing this brand warfare thing that they might be forgetting logical booking decisions a little bit, which, you know, WWE does that quite a bit, but you know, it's only a couple weeks into the brand extension, so I'm sort of giving them a little bit more leeway as far mm-hmm. as the logic goes. And, I, you know, even though it didn't make sense, I was actually kind of happy to see Baron Corbin being the last man standing in that match because he doesn't need the loss right now. He needs to look strong. Mm-hmm. Callisto can afford to lose to a guy who's bigger than him because he's always going to be the underdog. Underdogs lose more than they win. That's why they're underdogs. Yeah. Yeah, I think he needed to look stronger. I'm okay with, you know, I'm not the big fan of, it seems like they're doing him and Kalisto. You know, Kalisto isn't a strong enough baby face to, to, to make him over. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it is a, it is a win, you know, that he'll, that he'll probably, you know, he'll probably go against Kalisto in the pre-show at SummerSlam most likely. Um, so it does make him look strong, but, you know the investment's in Apollo Cruz right now. He's he's going for the title, so I think that was a a bit of an error as far as how they booked it. You know, now if Cruz was uh, somehow he left, you know, and and at the end, you know, Corbin was at the uh, standing tall. That would have been a little bit better for me. All right, we got a couple minutes. Let's do the flavor of the week. We'll be right back. It is now time for the flavor of the week. All right, real quick. Uh, as I've been doing the past few weeks with the uh, SummerSlam series, uh, our personal favorite match for each of, of, uh, of SummerSlam from 2000 to 2004. So what's your favorite match of 2000? Well, it's honestly kind of a toss-up. you got the TLC match with Edge and Christian, Hardys, and the Dudleys. Then you got a main event with The Rock, Kurt Angle, and Triple H. Choosing between those is very hard, but because... I was such a diehard Hardy Boys fan. I'm going to have to go with the TLC. I agree. TLC for me as well. 2001? Uh, I actually really enjoyed Rob Van Dam versus Jeff Hardy in the ladder match for the Hardcore Championship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kurt Angle Austin for me. It was a classic. 2002? 2002, I don't see how you could go with anything but Shawn Michaels versus Triple H in a street fight. Absolutely. The unsanctioned street fight. I totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Unsanctioned, yeah. 2003. Uh, 
Angle Lesnar. It was those two guys just make magic together. I totally agree. I have Angle Lesnar as well. And 2004. 2004 is kind of tough for me. Uh, I'm So I'm just going to have to go with Edge, Chris Jericho, and Batista. Only because it looks good on paper. I haven't watched that pay-per-view in quite a long time. But I love all three of those guys. So putting them in a match together can't go wrong. Yeah, that was a good match. I'm going to go Orton and Benoit just because it was Orton, you know, won the title, first title, youngest champ, you know, things like that. And uh, it was it was a pretty good match, too. About 20, 20 that that was a good match. That was yep. a good match, yeah. Absolutely. All right, where can we find you, Chris? Uh, well, you know, obviously I'm on Bleacher Report doing stuff every week. Uh, i got uh, BR underscore doctor on Twitter, and, you know, that's, pretty much it. My social media presence isn't very big because I'm not a big social media guy, so Bleacher Report is most likely the place where you're going to find me talking. Fantastic. Awesome, man. Had a great time uh, with you tonight. Thanks for being a co-host. Oh, dude, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Have a good night. You too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the Dr. Chris Mueller uh, fantastic uh, co-host, man. Uh, awesome, awesome stuff. Um, he knows his stuff, and uh, I love, I love talking to people. I love, I mean, I choose these co-hosts wisely. You know, when I, when I, when someone comes to my show, I take my show very seriously, as you know, uh, as all the listeners know very well. I take my listener, I, I take my show very seriously. I appreciate all the followers. I appreciate all the, all the listeners, all the weekly listeners, all the new listeners. I take it very seriously. So when I bring someone on my show, uh, I, I bring them for a purpose because I know that they know their stuff and uh, they're a passionate wrestling fan just as much as I am. So kudos to uh, Ken Doan. I mean, awesome interview there. Um, really, really interested to, to uh, follow up with him and, and, and have him back in the future um, one of these days. And uh, really appreciate the time he spent with us. And, of course, Chris Mueller, great co-host. Ladies and gentlemen, 227 episodes in the books. Until next week, enjoy your week of wrestling. God bless. Chris Featherstone from Crave Wrestling and the Pancakes and Power Slam show signing off. God bless. Goodbye.